Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, it's awards day in the federal leadership community. If we wanted to recognize everyone ourselves, it would be the FedScoop 50,000 versus <laughs> the FedScoop 50. How to get ahead at your agency and stay ahead. Volunteer for major efforts like I did. I always joke that I want to be the person in the agency that goes, oh, I remember when that system was created. And the remote work device explosion all across government. We are seeing just an exponential growth in, in devices, whether that is an IoT device that gives the network or, a, or a, simply a device that is uh, issued to employees. It's Tuesday, October 5th, 2021. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. Government agencies would have to notify Congress of cyber breaches within five days, according to new legislation in the Senate. Agency leaders would have to brief Congress about the breach within seven days. Senators Gary Peters and Rob Portman are the sponsors of the bill to update the Federal Information Security Modernization Act. The deadline's November 22nd for Pentagon employees to be fully vaccinated against COVID-19. A new memo from Deputy Secretary of Defense Kath Hicks says the department considers someone fully vaccinated two weeks after the second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna shot or the single dose of the Johnson & Johnson shot. The memo sets a November 8th date for getting the last shot of either sequence to meet the November 22nd deadline. The Department of Homeland Security has a new roadmap to protect quantum computing. The agency developed the roadmap with the National Institute of Standards and Technology. The roadmap includes advice for chief information officers all across government on working with standards bodies and new types of cryptography. You can read more on these stories and many others at fedscoop.com. Leading government cyber experts like Senator Gary Peters will join me at Palo Alto's Public Sector Ignite Virtual Conference Thursday, November 18th. I hope you will, too. You'll learn about key cybersecurity issues impacting agencies, including zero trust, endpoint detection and response, and secure remote access. You can sign up now at ignite.paloaltonetworks.com. Today is announcement day for one of the most prestigious awards programs in the federal government space. The FedScoop 50 list is announced today. Goldie Kamali is the president and CEO of the Scoop News Group. Goldie, welcome. It's nice to have you on the podcast for the very first time. First of all, thanks, boss, for letting me have this microphone. Uh, second of all, as you, as every, to be here. Well, thanks. As everybody knows, I'm new, and so give me some background as to what the FedScoop 50 is and the history of the program. Welcome. Absolutely. Well, we're in year 10 of the FedScoop 50. And Francis, as you know, as a company, we're the go-to platform for information and collaboration for the C-level community. We engage these leaders from Gov and TAC online, in person, every single day through our news sites, through our newsletters, through our content studio, podcasts, videos, and tech conferences, festivals, and other events. We work so closely with the Federal CIO Council and top leaders from our community. We learn from them every day. We grow with them every day. And the idea behind the FedScoop 50 was really to recognize the extraordinary leaders that we work with daily who are making huge impacts and contributions in our community and country and to highlight their contributions and thank them for their service. 
But as you know, if we wanted to recognize everyone ourselves, it would be the FedScoop 50,000 versus <laughs> the FedScoop 50. Um, so because everything we do is rooted in our community, um, we decided to do a call for nominations from the community. And each year we get thousands of nominations. And we narrow down the nominations to the people with multiple nominations. Typically it ends up being a few hundred folks. And then we put them up for vote by our readership and our readers actually select the top 50 winners. So this year we had over 700,000 votes. So really engaging, really exciting. The whole community gets involved and, um, and selects the top 50 winners. All right, Goldie, who are the winners this year? We have uh, several categories of winners. We recognize federal leadership, um, industry leadership. We also, on the federal leadership, oftentimes it's CIOs and chief data officers, but we also call out cybersecurity leadership. Um, we also call out tech champions, which are a lot of the CTO type folks, innovations of the year, uh, most inspiring up and comers. These are folks who are doing big things and are going to be running the show one day kind of thing, disruptors, those types of things. And then our most prestigious category is the Golden Gov, mm -hmm. uh, which are the people who have huge impact, not only in our community and the country, but oftentimes globally. And these are people who have been doing this a long time or are working on really large programs and things that impact the whole world. Um, and so I'll start with the Golden Gov winners this year. Wait, hold on a second. Let me get the drum roll ready. All right, go ahead. Uh, we have Sunny Bagwalia, Assistant Commissioner at CBP. We have Lieutenant General Dennis Kroll, CIO of uh, J6. We have Chris DeRussia, Federal CISO. We have Ann Duncan, CIO of Department of Energy. We have Jen Easterly, the new director of CISA. We have Juliana Galina, CIO of CIA. We have Lieutenant General Groen, the director of the Jake. We have Eric Heisen, CIO of DHS. We have Dr. Raj Iyer, who's the CIO of US Army. We have uh, Lauren Nossenberger, who's the CIO at U.S. Air Force. Uh, Claire, uh, federal CIO and the executive office of the president. Maria Rote, uh, the deputy federal CIO in the executive office of the president. Melinda Rogers, CIO of Department of Justice. Uh, Nancy Seeger, CIO of IRS. Lieutenant General Robert Skinner, director of DISA and um, Aaron Weiss, CIO of Department of Navy. Um, if you want the full list, Francis, everyone's gonna have to go to FedScoop and look at the entire list um, of winners this year. We have quite a few really exciting people that I think the whole community will be jazzed about. There's not enough time in the podcast to list all of them. Because uh, I mean, but you think about it, I mean, that's really a list of some of the big rock stars in our yes. business, isn't it, Goldie? Yes, and, and to be honest with you, we are actually at 59 this year. We just had the hardest time narrowing it down further. And I, uh, and I told the team, I was like, we can't get to 60. I'm like, 59 is respectable. 60 yeah. would just be embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, this FedScoop 59 is kind of clunky, though, isn't it, boss? <laughs> It's the FedScoop 50-ish. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> All right. Well, 
I'll leave it to you to make the name change. I'm certainly not going to call that. But thanks very much for coming on. Congratulations to all these people. And it's great to have you on the program, boss. Absolutely. It's an honor to recognize them. This is my favorite time of the year. And we just thank the leaders in our community for their incredible contributions, their dedication, and their support of us throughout the years. Uh, we get to work with them. We learn from them. We grow with them. And um, it's just a really fun time to be able to recognize all their incredible efforts and contributions. All right. Thanks, boss. You can find the entire FedScoop 50-ish list at thedailyscooppodcast.com. Coming up on today's Daily Scoop podcast, the data deluge at the edge of the energy department. The chief information officer of the agency, FedScoop 50 winner Ann Duncan, is here to tell you about that. The Daily Scoop podcast lineup is available ahead of time on Twitter. You can follow the show and get the advance info every day at Daily Scoop Pod. Friday was the 60th anniversary of one of the Defense Department's most important components. That component is in the middle of a high-tech transition. Helian Flowers is Deputy Chief of Staff of the Defense Logistics Agency. Helian, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. You've been at this agency for a long, long time. What are the major differences that you see in maybe the past decade, but especially over your entire 32-year career? Thanks for coming on the program. Thanks, Francis, for having me. What I would definitely say, being around for 31 years, you would think um, it, like it's like a lifetime for most people. I would say I started at 17, coming into an agency where there, there were no computers on the desk. Out of a, um, our offices, we had four terminals, and they were COBOL-oriented with the dot matrix printer. For those who weren't born when I was born, they all you remember is hearing the noise, and we would literally have to take a customer call, run to a central location. Hopefully no one was on those four computers, but it's, I remember there was always one person who was always on the computer, and I would have to tell her, hey, I have a customer on the line. I need to run the um, stock number to determine where their inventory was because we, you know, it was all about the warfighter. And so I remember we had no computers. Everything was paper, paper-based in your file. You had the big file cabinet. Um, we didn't recycle back then, so everything was colored paper. So we had green paper that couldn't be cycled, recycled. You just had to throw it away. And so I would definitely say going from paper-oriented for computers to actually now having individual laptops for most of our um, employees it was a big change. I remember when we got the individual laptops, it was, you have a zero client, which I was like, what's a zero client <laughs> computer where anyone could come up and use their CAC and log into your machine to thin clients to thick clients. And that's something where I started out with no computer on the desk to now I get to choose the appropriate type of um, laptop. I remember using punch cards, which when I first got to um, DLA, I didn't have a clue what a punch card was. Um, you would just write some words on it that you were trained to write. And someone was there to actually input your data into this machine. You drop it off in a box. <laughs> you walk away. The data was input by a data clerk. And you were like, cool. I don't know what happened to the data, but I know it's there. <laughs> so the, those were things where from a transition perspective to now that we're teleworking, in a COVID environment where other than touch labor, we have the ability um, to telework and everyone has their 
Um, if they're telework, they get a government cell phone if required. So we went from desk phone, no computer, to you get a cell phone and an actual individual laptop. And they got rid of the punch cards, of course, Francis. They yes. get rid of the punch cards. Thank God, because <laughs> I remember the stacks of those that I also had to deal with in a job a long time ago and had no idea what any of that was all about. Helium, what do you think has happened over the last 18 months as a result of the pandemic that will stick in the business process of the Defense Logistics Agency moving forward? I think the ability to virtually reach our customers without having to do customer visits. That's one of the things that I think we were forced to understand that from a process perspective, I can actually talk to my customer virtually and see them face to face. We've always had the telephone since I've been in the government, but we, we did not used to do face-to-face customer interaction. Unless, and there was always a small group of people who traveled to the customer site. Now, within the pandemic, the process there is I can turn on my computer. Most all military um, customers or whole of government partners, they have the same tools to actually see you, talk to you, understand your needs and your requirements. Things are portable where you actually we've had where we had to do inventory, where we had to take computers with us into the warehouse, where we have done our audit, where we had to show people what we're counting. And you could do that on a laptop. You can do that on a computer. You can do that on portable devices. So I think that will stay with us, understanding that sometimes when you can't physically get out of it, get out and travel, but you can still be able to look at your customer in the eye on a screen and have those um, important conversations. I think that's what's going to stick with us as we post-pandemic resources and how we look at what we do in the future. But I definitely would say that face-to-face interaction and being virtual is what's key. What would you tell a young person coming into DLA now to be successful, to reach the level of, of that you have in your career? I would tell folks, volunteer for major efforts like I did. I'll admit, when I was in Richmond, um, we had an opportunity to go for my legacy system. There were COBOL, COBOL programs into our SAP system. And so I actually volunteered. I used my legacy knowledge and volunteered to be on that, that team that was in the forefront and to actually um, get in the ground, doing it while it's young, volunteering for those opportunities, learning the systems, learning how to apply those systems, building the systems ground up. I always joke that I want to be the person in the agency that goes, oh, I remember when that system was created. I was back then, I was there when that system was created. I can say that now about SAP. I was there, I was boots on the ground, and it actually gave me opportunity to grow my knowledge and become a valuable employee so that when actually opportunities for promotion were there, I knew how the system worked, I knew the policy, I knew how the customer facing, I actually was boots on the ground in Richmond before I came up to headquarters. So without that, um, being able to volunteer on the, some people would consider it scary. I did not. And I would say that's what you need to do coming into the government now, learning it from the um, bottom up and just volunteering yourself. Helium Flowers, congratulations on uh, 60 years of the Defense Logistics Agency. And I hope you had a great anniversary celebration last week. Thanks for coming on the program today. Thanks, Francis. You can read more about DLA's 60th anniversary in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. 
I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, coming on Wednesday's program, Emerging Technology at Health and Human Services. The Chief Financial Officer of the Program Support Center at HHS, Michael Peckham, will tell you about that. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The Department of Energy is seeing an explosion in data at its computing edge. The Chief Information Officer at Energy, Ann Duncan, a FedScoop 50 winner this year, tells the Scoop News Group's Wyatt Cash one reason is the exponential growth in remote work. We already had lots of data at the edge. We had sensors um, and various activities going on at the edge of our network, which was increasing more and more as we get in the world of the Internet of Things. And of course, in DOE, lots and lots of operational technology. Um, and then we send everyone home. And so now we've got even more data being created at the edge. Now, you know, th there's, there's, there's different problems from the data that I'm creating at the edge at home, uh, where it's a matter of, of making sure that, that we securely transport that data uh, between me and uh, DOE or between me and you, um, so that that's a secure process. Um, and that also, that, that data ends up on our servers and not on a device on my desk. Um, so that's one problem. The other problem is we already talked about a little bit is having all that data at the edge in our IoT networks and our scientific networks and all those things um, that, that, that must be securely transported across the organization, but also collected and analyzed. So DOE really has a defense in depth approach. Um, you know, you've probably heard me say in the past, Wyatt, that there are two kinds of CIOs, those have been hacked and know it, and those have been hacked and don't know it, right? So the whole concept of defense in depth and zero trust, as we now talk about it, is that um, we are able to uh, secure, the, secure our environment uh, completely by assuming that it's insecure. So we assume that uh, you know, the hackers are in our network. We assume that uh, some systems are compromised and therefore we have multi-layers of defense. And then we also have multi-layers of alerting to make sure that we know what's going on. So this is you know, nothing new from a, from a concept. Uh, lots of people are talking about, it, lots of people are doing it. Um, but the real, the real trick is to actually do it. And uh, so implementing zero trust architectures, um, putting, identifying your high value assets and making sure those are secure. And, and for DOE, you know, our challenge is some of our high value assets are operational, not traditional, infrastructure, not traditional IT. So we have that additional challenge of, of OT and securing OT, which is more complex um, because for many years, we somehow thought they weren't important, right? We, it's like, uh, you know, that Eric, we, and, and there's a clear reason why, right? First, we had an HVAC system, and then we connected the HVAC system to the network. And it, it, at some point, it occurred to us that maybe that HVAC system connected to the network was something that needed to be secured, mostly because someone had already hacked into one. Um, so there's a lot of things that just were not designed uh, for to be secured. We also have a lot of older, uh, uh, you know, technology um, for scientific instruments uh, that we have secured in many cases by air gapping that and eliminating it completely from networks. So we're going to look at ways both to secure things on the edge, but we're also going to pull some of those things away from the edge, away from the network when they don't need to be there to make them more secure. Um, and then finally, obviously, uh, when we start talking about sending everybody home, more responsibility for that security falls to our employees. Uh, so when we're on the edge now, I need to make sure that this computer on my desk is secure. Um, DOE is going to do part of that for me. 
but part of it's my job to ensure that my home network is secure, that I'm using the tools that DOE provide me properly, that I'm not doing silly things with other devices on my network that are interesting risks. Just because I have a VPN that's always connected whenever this machine is on does not 100% eliminate the risk of it being on my network. So that's the final challenge we run into in that space. So that's probably a good segue to my next question, which is, how is the expected growth and distributed nature of digital workloads reshaping the need for agencies to potentially reprioritize their investment strategies around on-prem, hybrid, and public cloud environments? We are seeing just an exponential growth in, in devices, whether that is an IoT device at the edge of the network or, a, or a, just simply a device that is uh, issued to employees, right? We, we used to have one computer and now employees have a computer and a phone, and they also have their personal devices, which depending upon your organization may be coming onto your network as well, whether that's because they brought their personal device in the office and they want to do something personal, or because they're doing BYOD if you allow that. So there's a tremendous proliferation of end user devices, tremendous proliferation of IoT on your system and OT. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, uh, we have to, you um, uh, Figure out again what is the mo- what are the most important workloads, where the workloads that need to be uh, most secure, um, and how can we leverage our investment the most? And and what we find is we're able to leverage our investment uh, most effectively by me- moving much of our work to the cloud. Uh, so uh, being able to identify those items that can move the cloud successfully, that we can. Uh, save money on by putting in the cloud because we're not maintaining that infrastructure. Uh, Our staff aren't maintaining infrastructure. They get to worry about something else. Um, But also we have to to recognize that there are times when you need to be able to operate your facilities. So for example, you know, we have, we we are responsible for facilities that support the power grid. Um, We are not going to move those onto the cloud. And if we can't access the cloud, Fine, right? That infra- that's critical infrastructure. It needs to have on-premise support um, for at least some of the applications to ensure that we can run that critical infrastructure, that the power grid stays up and we're able to support that. Um, and at the same time, we also have things that aren't, that aren't cost-effective in the cloud. Uh, I, it's unlikely that I'm going to decide I want a cloud supercomputer. Uh, you know, my, my labs are building uh, you know, quantum computers. They're building some of the fastest supercomputers in the world. We are invariably make our appearance on the number one fastest uh, supercomputer in the world list every few years as we get new supercomputers. All of those things are going to continue to be on-premise. So we need to, to invest. I always look at this and say, the more I can invest uh, or the less I can invest uh, in business operations and those systems because I've made them more cost-effective, not because I've skimped on them, um, the more I can invest in things like uh, those supercomputers and uh, those very specific things that support the business, uh, whether it's in my budget or whether it's in somebody else's budget, it's all federal money and, it, and the savings in one area allow us to be more effective and uh, do more in another area. The Chief Information Officer at the Energy Department, Ann Duncan, one of the winners of this year's FedScoop 50 Awards with the Scoop News Group's Wyatt Cash. You can read more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thank you for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put this show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team 
contributes. Michael Peckham, the Chief Financial Officer of the Program Support Center at HHS, is on the show tomorrow. Until then, I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.